my, my doctor in a, in, a, in a sick room, my lawyer in a courtroom. He is my all. I wonder this morning, has anybody tried him? Has anybody tried him? Has anybody tried him? Huh? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. He is my all, my all, my all, my all. We're going to ask that everybody will stand to their feet. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. The presence of the Lord is here right now. A perfect time for us to hear the word of God. Stretch your hands towards the pulpit. And I want everybody to say, preach. Bishop, preach. Receive now our pastor, Bishop Roy Jesse Lysus. Receive him right now. Hallelujah. 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 God is my all and all. Come on, can we just say that one more time together? God is my all and all. Hallelujah. Let's just celebrate the Lord as we take our seat. Hallelujah. We're so thankful to God for each of you that has found your way here into the household of faith one more time. Hallelujah. We just thank the Lord for each of you. We're just excited about what God is doing. We're thankful to the praise and the worship that has gone forth. I believe the Spirit of the Lord is in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I survived it. Hallelujah. I have survived it. Everything this week is thrown at me, I have survived it. And I'm here to testify about it. Hallelujah. Mm. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 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 I found out when I survived it that I have the victory. Hallelujah. I've got the victory. Hallelujah. Victory is mine, says the Lord. Oh, oh, hallelujah. Because I survived it. Because I found out I have the victory. Today is the best day of my life. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Looking for a miracle this week. And I found out that I am. The miracle. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You'll get that at midnight. Begin understanding who you are. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Those of you that are tuning in, you just have to pardon the interruption of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Because the Spirit of the Lord is heavy in this place. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. 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 Where two or three are gathered together in the name of the Lord, the promise of God is that he would be in the midst. Hallelujah. The Spirit of God is here in this place today, and we are just so thankful to the presence of the Lord and to the presence of each of you, our brothers and sisters, whether it be physical or through technology, we thank the Lord for you coming and joining with us. We know that many are absent for varying reasons, some just and some unjust, but we're thankful to God for everything that he has been doing in our behalf. Just by way of quick announcement, we want to let you know that July 31st, we will have our community day. It is our uh, endeavor, our goal, our desire to minister to the needs of the community to which God has placed us, planted us, and caused us to thrive. We have been a blessing in the past, and we want to continue in that vein by providing boxes of meals and food for the community, as well as backpacks and things of this nature. We have our numeric goal, but I feel of the Lord that I'm not going to put a number on what our goal is. Our goal is simply to minister to the needs of those to whom God has intended we minister. So I'm asking that you work with those that have been given charge over this endeavor. You do what you can to support. This is not about us. But all the glory belongs to God. And we would that we do our best, hallelujah, to do what we can to meet the needs of this community. Again, that's July 31st. That's a Saturday. We will come and we will gather here and we will do everything God empowers us to do. Amen? So I ask that you put it on your calendar, that you make plans to be here, to be a part of what God is doing, and to uh, bring your varying gifts to minister as well. We're again thankful to God for each and every one of you. This, at least in the city of Columbus, has been a tragic week. It's been a troubling week. It's been a hard week. As I look around as 
I read all of the social media, as I examine news articles, news broadcasts, as I listen to even the leaders in our own communities, as I look and listen at police officials, at city officials, what I find is a human response to a problem that only can be fixed through God. What we are experiencing in our society is the manifestation of a power that has set itself against humanity as a whole. In my time with God, in my study and my communion with the Lord, I have found that there has been a narrative that has been put forth a narrative that's not built upon facts, it's not built upon truth, but a narrative that is built and born of experience and fueled by emotion. What we've come to understand in life, experience often frames the way that you think. It begins to craft how you engage every experience in life. The Bible tells us that there was a time when we engaged life in our human condition, which is a flawed condition. The human condition is flawed because the human condition is enmity against God. It lacks the ability to comprehend or to understand or to function in real righteousness or in real justice. The human condition is evil. The human condition is the entrance into things that lead to death. So when you approach life through the human condition, you approach life from a foundation that is already shattered, flawed, and cracked. God comes into the life of a believer for the sole purpose to change who we are. We've been talking over the last several months now about our true identity in Christ and what it means. And we've touched upon just a few things that relate to how 
we relate to life not through our humanity, but through our real Christianity. Christianity is more than just somebody who goes to church. Christianity is someone who has been changed by condition into that which is God. I've looked, I've watched, I've prayed for our leaders to lead us. And they have failed us. The Bible tells us that the earth itself, when it talks about the earth, it's talking about creation. That means that everything in the known existence of all that is, seen, unseen, known, unknown, visible, invisible, all of these things are groaning and waiting for what? The Bible declares that they are waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. In other words, they're waiting for somebody who understands who they are in Christ to stand up and bring order in the midst of chaos. Let me read for you the word of God as found in the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter, beginning at the 29th verse. Ephesians 4, starting at the 29th. And the word reads like this. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Let me just pause there for those of you that are taking notes or need to highlight some things. I want you to highlight or underline the words use of edifying and underline the words minister grace. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. The writer goes on to say, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye, that's you, are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now you need to highlight the rest of what I read. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. You need to double underline this. 
even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You may be seated. There's a whole lot here. I don't have the time today to unpack this as I would like. As I talk to God about how to address the body of Christ and all those who would hear me today, I had all kinds of ways at which I was developing this word to give to you. I gathered lists of facts, real evidence to point to the existence of a narrative that does not and is not supported by what is factually true. And I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, can I present these numbers? Can I talk about what these numbers mean in our community? The Lord told me to save and hold on to the numbers. So I begin to labor before the Lord and talk to God about how best to approach the tragedy that has affected not just people in the world, but people in the church. It's easy to say that we are ambassadors in a strange land. It's easy to say that this is not our home, but we are still affected in the human condition by what goes on in the communities in which we live. But God impressed upon me to remind the body of Christ that you, each of you, has a responsibility. You see, regardless of whether or not you fully understand or comprehend what I'm getting ready to say, at the moment of your conversion, and I know that this may go against some theology and it may shake some theological belief system that has been dealt, developed through years and years of inerrant teaching. But you have to understand that the moment of your conversion, there was a promise of God that in you, he would place his spirit. You see, God understood that for you to be converted, there has to be something in you that's different than what was already there. Or else, you cannot change into something else. If there's no new theology, there's no new ideology, there's no new thought process, then you cannot form new opinions, new thinking new ways of engaging life. There has to be the introduction of something that is greater than what is already there 
to grab or captivate the attention of your soul to seeing things in a different manner. So the promise of God is that he would give unto you the gift of the Holy Ghost. It is the embodiment of all he is in all you are. So that all you are can be controlled or given over to all that he is. So that you can live out the scripture that I have died. It is not I that live, but Christ that liveth in me. He who is my hope and glory. Because the children of God are such empowered, when they speak, power and authority is released into the atmosphere. Power and authority is released into the heart and the mind of every hearer of what they say. Because you are the embodiment of all that God is. When God wants to do something, what does he do? He speaks. He speaks. And things happen. What do you do as parents when you want your children to do something? You speak, power and authority comes from your lips, and your children respond to what you've released in the atmosphere. The expectation is that your children will do what you have given them to do. Our experience is sometimes children rebel, and we have to encourage them to follow through with what it is that we've said. But the idea of the instruction or the introduction of information begins with the utterance of what is flowing out of your mouth. Now, we live in a time where our ability to communicate goes beyond just our verbal acumen. We have the ability to communicate in a variety of ways from verbally speaking to posting to texting to tweeting and all these varying means of sharing something with every hearer of what we have to say. God's focus is that we as his children, if we call ourselves ambassadors, the job of an ambassador is to speak of the one to whom they represent. We are the representatives of God in the earth. So the message that we should always speak is not our message, but it is the message of the one to whom has sent us. 
We understand that this week there's been a tremendous tragedy because of the loss of life. And we can talk about the legal justification. We can talk about the moral or the immoral implication. We can talk about what we think we might have done in the same situation. We can look at a person and develop our own idea about who they are, what they were thinking, and how they were feeling, even when we know absolutely nothing about them as a human, but only them by the position that they carry. Whether it be a police officer, or whether it be a juvenile, or whether it be a parent, or whether it be anyone that was involved in the incident that took place earlier this week. But that's not the only tragedy that took place in the city of Columbus this week. It's the tragedy that got the news. And the news made a conscious decision to speak about that tragedy in a manner that would instigate a specific thought process to fuel more news. Because the business of the news is to put out information that causes people to listen and tune in and listen more and listen more. Oftentimes, systems of information are designed by powers that are in place to frame the thought process of people to whom that power is trying to control. There is profit to be made by speaking specific words. Words are intentional. Words have power. We've often heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. However, our experience is that that is absolutely not true. Words have caused wars. Words have caused the loss of life. Words have caused relational failure. Words have power. Now multiply the power of words by the indwelling authority and power of God in your life. It's important, as you've often heard me say, nothing in the Bible is there by accident, but it is there specifically as an instruction of God to prevent hardship in the life of every believer. Every believer is responsible to the word of God, that everything we do and everything that we say is framed 
by the word of God. That everything we think and everything that we believe, it's filtered through the lens of God's word. Micaiah Bryant, a juvenile, lost her life this week. But this week was not the beginning of the loss of her life. It was the unfortunate conclusion to a history of things a history of failures that were going on in her life. God instituted a plan for the success of humanity. And man has diverted from that plan and we are experiencing the fallout from the diversion of what God's word has declared would bring us true and lasting success. The loss of Micaiah's life is hitting hard, not just in our community as a whole, but specifically in the life of those to whom she was connected. A mother, a father, family, friends who knew her, I'm always amazed at all the woke people who rally to a scene to lend support for something they do not know. But at the end of the day, whether it's legally justified what happened it is a tragedy because it could have been avoided had a history of things that preceded it not taken place. It's very easy to point fingers in the moment and to cry for accountability but accountability starts first with you. Accountability did not begin that day, but it began 15, 16 years ago in her life. And it began with those to whom provided life for her. But she was not the only tragedy. At the very same time that that incident took place, regardless of what you may feel or believe about it or how you think you would handle it in that 11 to 12 seconds of time, It's easy to Monday morning quarterback and say what you should have, could have, would have done because you have never, and for many of you, will never experience that level 
of stress. To have to make a decision. And if truth is to be told, that was a no-win scenario. When you look at the facts removed from your opinion, removed from your emotion, you will find that there was no way that could have played out successfully where somebody didn't end up a tragedy. And how I tell the story determines what I want that story to become. But hers wasn't the only tragedy that day. At the exact same time of that incident, two 15-year-old boys not too far away from that incident were involved in a gunfight where one 15-year-old killed the other 15-year-old. But see, those to whom frame the narrative don't care about the two black 15-year-olds killing each other because that unfortunately has become too common and it becomes something for which most of society won't talk about, won't rally behind. It doesn't sell newspapers, so to speak. But theirs wasn't the only tragedy. She lost her life. A young boy lost his life. A young, another young boy's life is permanently altered because of what took place. But they weren't the only deaths in this city this week. They weren't the only tragedies in this city this week. Graphic, unrelenting, unkind is the enemy that we face. And the only one that has the power to do something is not the mayor of the city of Columbus. You see, the mayor is too concerned about what people might think about what he says or any position that he may take. I'll give you an example. And I don't care if people don't like it. I don't care if people are listening to me today and they get frustrated by what I say because it's my responsibility to speak truth into your life. But it's easy when things appear to be simple to get behind something, something that maybe is unjust, something that is maybe wrong, 
to quickly come out and stand and say this was unjust. This week we found, or we, we, we were given the verdict in the Derek Chauvin case for the unnecessary loss of life, regardless of the history. I've seen so much about George Floyd's history as if his history justifies what took place in those nine minutes on the ground. What took place in those nine minutes was depraved indifference to life. There's no police officer worth their salt. And surely not one I've ever talked to that thought what took place was justified. And if you look at social media and you know officers and you talk to them, many of them will tell you that that was wrong. It should not have happened. George Floyd should be alive today. Chauvin should not be an officer. It's easy when facts are clear cut. When right and wrong is not in question. When the legality of something is clear cut. To take a stand. To jump on a side. But that also works as they say in reverse. You cannot just immediately take a stand when it profits you, as we see in politics all the time. Everyone gets behind what everyone has pretty much agreed was wrong. But when there's question, when there's supposition, when there's a narrative that fosters an idea that something else should have or could have been done, validated by no facts that there was or is such a choice, we buy into it, we're easily led by it, and we allow it to craft the narrative of our own individual response. And as a result, we find ourselves under the power of evil rather than being under the power of God. Every opinion that we hold should not be crafted from our anger. Every opinion that we hold should not be crafted from even our own personal trauma or experience with any given people or any given uh, course or walk with life. Everything, if we are new creations made after the image of God, should be crafted and formed through the lens of our identity in Christ not the lens of our identity in our humanity. But when we rely on leaders 
like the mayor of this city, who wants to be extremely careful how they respond in Micaiah's situation, but not as careful in Andre Hill's case. You have to be careful how you allow that to influence you. What I see in our leaders is cowardice. cowardice because they only speak in a manner which profits them not everything you say is going to profit you we've been crafted or framed in our own society to think about me first how is whatever going to affect me can I gain from this or will I lose from this? We've been told as young children that if you do something or you take a stand or you believe in something that causes other people to break off from you, we were always taught that they were never with you in the beginning. We've been conditioned in our culture that if we do not agree with one another, then we are enemies one to the other. And that is simply not truth. If you read the Bible, you'll find that there are oftentimes many occasions when the disciples did not agree with each other. Yet they did not cease being disciples or brothers and sisters in Christ, they worked through their differing opinions and stood behind what was supported by God's word. Tragedy took place. But there was a tragedy that is not talked about. A tragedy that grieves the Spirit of God when the people of God, who are the ambassadors of God, use the power and the platform to which they've been given by God to speak of God, use that opportunity to speak in their human condition. Let no corrupt communication. No perfect communication can be formed from a flawed place. The formulization of information from that which is already broken means the information itself is flawed and broken. We can form our own opinions and have our own attitudes, but as the messengers of God in the earth, the ones who are given the authority to speak into crisis, into disorder, into chaos, to establish peace and order, 
Your responsibility is to do it from a platform of power and success which edifies. What does edify mean? It means to build up. It means to restore. It means to encourage. In no way do I diminish the loss of life of a 15, 16 year old girl. In no way do I say she deserved what happened because she didn't. But the truth is what happened this week began years ago and it didn't start with the police. It started with a breakdown in the very thing that God established for the success of every family. And that is the family structure itself. And while I do not discount her death as being tragic and wished with every fiber of my being that there could have been in that moment another choice. In that moment, in those 11 to 12 seconds, the decision had to be made about the loss of life or the right to life. As much as Micaiah had a right to life, so did the girl that she was engaged with. So did the girl that she pushed to the ground where when that girl is on the ground, the adult the alleged father of Micaiah takes an opportunity to not bring calm into the situation as a parent should have done, but takes the opportunity to further chaos by trying to kick this girl in the head. While none of those things justifies in and of itself or makes the loss of her life okay in a sense there was legal justifiable cause to protect the life of others in that situation this is just the simple truth Unbiased, unemotional, unconnected. Truth. We watch TV and we're crafted in our thinking about the way things go. How many of you have watched TV where people get shot? And they get shot one time and all of a sudden their eyes are closed, they're laying down on the ground and 
all action is stopped. How many of you see that on television? And we see it over and over and over again. So what does that cause you to believe? That if you get shot one time, you're going to lay down on the ground, close your eyes, and be dead. How many of you have watched television and watched somebody get tasered? And they get knocked out. They get, and then they lay on the ground, and then they're asleep for like 30 seconds or a minute or whatever, and whoever did the tasering walks on and does whatever else they're supposed to do. So when we start to believe that that's what happens, people of God, that's not reality. That's not reality. The fact of the matter is, when you get tased, the momentum of your body continues. This is why people fall. If you're running away from me and I tase you, the, the momentum of your body, whatever direction your body was flowing in that moment, that the gravity that is in existence in the earth will cause your body to continue to move at force in that direction. You don't freeze. You stay in the exact position you were when you were tased until the tasing stops. It is an immobilization of the, muscle, of the muscles in the body. It locks them in place. This is why we don't tase people from heights or our Training is to not tase people from heights because of the injury that can be caused because you have an inability to move your muscles, to redirect your body. So even in a successful tasing, successful in the sense that both probes make contact at the right distance to break down that connection of your body's ability to control your limbs, even if that is successful, if I'm like this and I'm moving in this direction, tasing will not stop my motion. And if the purpose of me tasing you is to prevent you from completing what you're attempting to do in that situation, regardless of other rules and policies and training that are in place, which there are many, in that situation, tasing would not prevent somebody from getting stabbed. This is just the truth. Tasing is also not 100% foolproof or successful. You see, two darts have to enter a body at a certain distance from each other, fired from a certain distance to be effective. Not guaranteed to take place, 
and the circumstances that were present that day and the positioning that was present that day did not afford that to stop what could have happened. So in a split second, one who has been trained, one who has to make a split second decision about stopping a threat of the loss of life to another makes a decision to fire. And he fires until the threat is stopped. We're talking about legal justification. But let's talk about the moral aspect of how this affects everybody. Do you think that the officer was excited and happy about what took place? Do you think that he went back to the substation and high-fived all of his partners? Do you think that that officer is not affected by what has transpired? His family, his children. Do you think that he's not going to live with this the rest of his life? This is why it is a tragedy. Not just because one person is affected, but because everybody involved is affected in one manner or another. But the failure did not begin that day. So then when we, the children of God, begin to talk about something, we are guided by what God's word declares we should frame our conversation. So the Bible does not say frame your conversation from your experience or from the knowledge that there is injustice in the world or from the knowledge that police injustice exists or that it is unequal in its deportment or that you feel that there's no accountability for history of unrighteous treatment. This is what the Bible says. And this is what you are responsible for. This is what you are accountable for. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. In other words, you are to, with every ounce of your being, reject your human condition. Because your spiritual condition does not produce bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, or evil speaking. That comes from your human condition. So then when I, if I'm going to say something, it's born out of my frustration over a history of injustice, a frustration that now prevents me from seeing each incident as an isolated thing, 
but wrapping it all together, which is the very thing for which many of us are frustrated because that for years is how we have been seen. We see now all law enforcement as negative. Many of us, even in the body of Christ, will say, can't stand them. However, that's not what the word of God instructs of us. We frame that opinion because there has been a history of injustice. There has been a history of racial bias and uh, mistreatment. There has been. While at the very same time we are crying, don't pull me over because I'm black. Don't stop me on the street because I'm black. We can't have just one side of the equation and negate the other. We cannot then craft our opinion about all of them, just like we don't want them to craft their opinion about us by the history of some of the things that we do. And when we remove the human condition from how we analyze every situation, it empowers you to, in an unbiased and spiritual way, take a look at things that happened even when they are tragic and we wished it could have been another way. But as my mother used to tell me when I was young, just because I wish something was different or could have been different does not mean that it will be or even that it could have been. So then when I speak about the thing for which my mind is focused, I ought to be kind, tender-hearted, speaking from a position and foundation of forgiveness just as God has forgiven us. This is what the word of God declares. And the Bible tells us that you have the ability to grieve the Holy Ghost. When we act in a manner that's not reflective of who he is and who we are in him. Grieve not. You cannot tell me not to grieve if I don't have the capacity to grieve. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. How do you not grieve it? The answer is in the statement. By letting all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away with all fervence. That's what malice means, with all fervence, with every ounce of your energy 
and as the ultimate priority of who you are. So what does this do? When we speak as God intends for us, when we allow a message to come out of our mouth, which is good to the use of edifying and ministering grace, remembering what grace is, grace is not you merited what I'm saying. Grace, ministering grace, is saying even if I don't think you deserve what I'm going to say. What I'm going to say is meant to encourage and restore order and establish peace and exemplify love because that is who I am. The hard truth of the matter is evil exists in this world. And as long as evil exists in this world, this is not the only tragedy that we will face. So the question then becomes, how do you deal with every tragedy that is presented to you? Do you engage it from a flawed place or from a seat of power? Do you speak in obedience to the word of God? Or do you rebel against the word of God and speak out of your bitterness, your wrath, and your anger? Do you encourage restoration or do you fuel chaos? You which are spiritual, when your brother is overtaken in a fault, your duty is the process of restoration, not condemnation. Am I saying to you today that you don't have the right to feel a certain way? No. You have the right to your opinion just like everybody else has the right to their opinion. Am I telling you today that you should not be angry? No. The Bible says be angry, but it says don't sin in the process of your anger. So then when I speak, my words should not violate the instructions of God. What have we all heard growing up? If you don't have anything good to say, don't say nothing at all. If you can't speak according to who you are supposed to be, who you declare that you are, then you should either say nothing or take a harder look at where you think you are because where you think you are in your walk with God may not be where you truly are in your walk with God.
giving that all things are lawful, still some things are not expedient. It's my duty as your pastor to teach you how to engage everything that happens in life. To stand on the truth of the word of God and to speak only in the power of your identification in him. Crucifying the deeds of the flesh, putting to death daily who you used to be, who's still trying to live, who's still trying to speak, and give that former you no place, no position, and no platform. For you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, magnify God in your body, which belongs to him. My prayer is that the church will get to a place that when trouble occurs, we become the power that brings peace and resolution. We may not all see eye to eye on how to accomplish that. And we all may have varying opinions about the best way to approach it. But I will not rely on mankind to guide my opinion about any given thing. I will not let even my experience allow me to formulate thought process about one incident because not every incident is the same. Every incident in life should be measured solely by the things that occurred in that incident. We can talk about pattern, we can talk about practice of behavior, we can talk about all these things, but if you want the world to hear you, do you remember the riots in Los Angeles? In the like 90s, I think it was. Do you know what the authorities did? They withdrew their people. They established a perimeter. They let you tear up your own community. And then when you got done, you had to live in the mess that you created while they continued pretty much the same way as they were before. This is why speaking in wrath and bitterness and anger does not profit you. Use the platform and the power that God has given you to change society by speaking in a manner in which society can receive what's being said. Or the devil, the power that is behind the system, will simply 
wait you out. You look at the recent law that was instituted, Andre's law. I'm going to tell you a truth that maybe you don't know. Andre's law is a law that says police officers have to engage their body-worn cameras. And we applaud the city council for enacting a law that will help us have more clarity. Help us to see more of what's going on. We're excited about it and we celebrate it and we think, man, they're on our side. When the truth is, when the truth is, there was already that policy in place. They gave you a facade that they've done something when in actuality they did absolutely nothing. Because there's already a rule in place for that to happen. And then here's the other side of the story. Not everybody even has a camera to wear. Not everybody is issued one. The city won't tell you this. They'll tell you, we're going to dedicate all this money to doing all these different things when they're not telling you the truth. They haven't dedicated the money necessary so that every officer, which was a promise of the mayor, would have a body camera to record their everyday living in the sense of the deportment of their duty. That's a fallacy. They have not done it. They have not dedicated the money to it. But they'll have you believe that that's what they're doing. When the truth is, they have not. There are agencies that don't even have cameras because they can't afford cameras. Because the taxes just don't support the cost. And then they'll tell you, this is what we want to do. And never follow through. There was a saying that I was brought up on. Promise little, deliver much. You always come out on top. Promise much and deliver little is a different story. Unless you're the one that crafts the story. Everything we do should be based upon facts, not emotion. Everything we do should be based upon those facts being filtered through the lens of who we are in Christ. Because at the end of the day, the message that should flow from our lips 
should not be the message that we develop, but the message that has been developed in and through us by God, whom is who we represent. We don't speak in our behalf. We speak in behalf of God. Whether we're talking about some political issue or we're just simply having a conversation with our loved one, our conversations with each other would be better if we filtered what we're getting ready to say through God's instruction on how to talk to one another. Am I getting ready to say something that edifies? Something that comes from a place of goodness, of grace? Or am I just getting ready to blast you? Let you have it because I'm angry or I'm bitter or I'm speaking from wrath. When I don't do the things that God declares that I am living in rebellion to the word of God, and this is something that as a believer we should not tolerate within ourselves because it robs us of who we are in Christ. This may not have been the message you wanted to hear today, but this is the message that God gave me because too many of the children of God are speaking not as his ambassador in the earth, but as their own representative of their own ideology and their own thought. And we should take a hard look at whose message we are declaring. God bless you. Amen, amen, and amen. The importance of telling the truth. Amen. Let's give God praise for the word once more time. Not just for the